0: Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by one of our middle school students, Briley DeVrend. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupted in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it is good to be with you here today. I, I normally like to start with a hilarious story, um, but there's too much to cover today, so we're just going to dive straight in. If you got a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter six. We're gonna try and cover three chapters, um, three chapters in Scripture. Remember, week one we covered one verse and took thirty minutes. So uh, just buckle in and be ready for it. But we are looking at the the life of Noah and the way that God used Noah. Now. When we uh, come to the story of Noah, if we're reading through the book of Genesis, many of us are familiar with this story. And so we kind of read the book of Genesis in the way that we have always learned to read it. Uh, But if you pay attention, you you start to see that, that things really get out of hand very quickly. Right, like in the beginning of Genesis and in chapter one, you have the God who is there in the beginning, and then you have creation and everything is good. Then you turn the page and you're in chapter two, and God creates man and woman in his image. In the image of God, we are created, and he looks at creation and God says, it is very good. And then you get into chapter three, and, and you're still on the same page here, and you're like, okay, uh, man and woman, they ate from a tree they weren't supposed to, right? That's bad, not good, um, you know, so, so there's gonna be some consequences behind that. And then you turn the page, and we're on like page three now. And all of a sudden, a brother is murdering his brother. And you're like, wow, things really got out of hand quickly. And if that wasn't enough, just two chapters later, you're still on the same page. We get to chapter six, and actually the verses right before the, the verses that Briley just read say this. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Wow. Wow. We have gone downhill very fast. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so right there, we see this pattern that is going to happen in Noah's story, in this account in scripture, that we see this as a story of two different things. And depending on how you come to the text and maybe when you came to the text, you might be reading this in one of two different ways. Actually, as a matter of fact, how many of you started coming to church ages zero to 10? Zero to 10 years old, you started coming to church, grew up in church. How many of you 10 years and beyond is when you started coming to church? Okay, a handful of you. How many of you just don't like raising your hand in church? Okay, great. Yeah, several of you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate the honesty there. Um, so when we, when we come to the text, if we started coming to church, especially like zero to 10 range, right? We came in children's church. We're going to read the story of Noah in a very specific way. And it's going to be very happy. It's going to be filled with mercy and love. The, God's love and mercy for Noah is kind of what we focus on, Right. And I can see the coloring page right now. I can see, you know, there's Noah and his family and all the animals are around them, like living in perfect harmony. And there's a rainbow and the ark is in the background. Everything looks nice. And you're like, ah, what a wonderful story this is. And then you come to the text as an adult and you're like, whoa, there are some things we didn't color in children's church. And so you can look at this story then from the other perspective, and you, you can see this as a story of God's judgment and wrath and, and his anger. And you can look and say, wow, like that's, that's not what we expected. That's not what we think we see later in Scripture. That's not what we learned in children's church. And where we need to go, though, is we need to make sure that we understand that both of these things are true. That this is a story of God's wrath and judgment on sin, but his mercy and grace on Noah and his family. And what we need to understand as we read this text, is we need to understand that we all deserve wrath, that we all deserve judgment, we all deserve wrath, but God gives us a new life and a new opportunity to live in obedience to him. Because of our sin nature, because of the sin that's in our life, we are people deserving of wrath, and God will deal with sin, but he is also merciful and gracious and through the person of Jesus Christ, God offers us a new life and a new opportunity to live in obedience to him. And so we're gonna see that as the, the, the story unfolds, we're gonna see that both these things are in play and we're gonna see moments of, oh, there's the judgment and the wrath piece and there's God's mercy and his love. As a matter of fact, we went through, hey, here's what God's gonna to do to the earth and this is God, uh, that, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so then these next verses give us a little context about who Noah is. It says in verse 9 that this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so here we see that Noah is unlike the people that are around him. He's different. He stands out. He stands out because he is following God in a way that no one else has. And so what we need to understand is that everyone has failed to the answer to the question we asked in Genesis 1.1. Are you following the one true God? Are you putting him as the center of your life? Is he the king of your heart? Or are you going to go your own ways? And here, everyone has gone their own ways, except Noah is still living in obedience to God. Now, what we should not see from this is that Noah was a perfect man deserving God's love, that he had earned God's favor. That's not what the text is telling us. As a matter of fact, we'll see later that Noah recognizes his own sin. He recognizes his own brokenness. He knows that he is not deserving of grace and mercy, but God gives it to him anyways. And so we read that Noah is someone who walks with God. He walks with God. Which as we look at the story and we look at, at, at God's judgment, we need to remember that God is still a relational God. That Noah walking with God is a relational message. It means that Noah was able to have a relationship with God. But he walked with him, which is also an important step for each and every one of us to take. Walking with him requires time. It requires going on the same path together. It's something that's happening in his everyday normal life. And so Noah walking with God sets him up in two ways. One, is that because he walked with God on a regular basis, he was able to avoid some of the sins that the rest of the world was walking into. Because they had stopped walking with God, it was easier to walk into sin and to walk with sin and let sin overcome them. But Noah walked with God, and by walking with God, he guarded his heart against the sin that was taking over the world around him. But the other thing is that Noah does something extraordinary in Scripture. And if you want to do something extraordinary for God, you need to be faithful in the ordinary. You need to be faithful in the mundane. So to walk with God means that we are living lives of obedience to him. We are drawing closer to him. And that every day in the little things and the big things, we are being faithful. And so we walk with God by reading scripture, getting to know him, by spending time in prayer, by being in worship, by having fellowship with one another. We walk with God by serving and giving. These are steps that we can take to walk with God. And so we need to be doing this on a regular basis to guard our hearts from sin. And also so that when God calls us to the extraordinary, we can do it because we've been faithful in the ordinary. We've grown in our relationship with him. So we see a contrast between Noah and the rest of the world because he walked with God. But there's something else in here. It mentions his three sons by name, and it mentions his family is going to receive salvation. They're all going to get to go on the ark. But what's interesting is that only Noah is is the one who is talked about as being righteous and blameless. We see no acknowledgement of the faithfulness of the sons or their wives. We We get no information about their relationship with God. It doesn't say Noah and his family were walking with God. It doesn't say, name them all and say they were all walking with God. It just says Noah was blameless and righteous, was walking with God. And I think this illustrates a point that we talk about a lot here at Christ Community, that we are all pastors. We are all pastors to our areas of influence. Noah was being a pastor to his family. And so what this means is for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, that God has given us the ability to be a light to others. He's given us the ability to disciple others who are further behind in their relationship with Christ than we are. And not only does he give us that ability, but he calls us to do that. He calls us to be pastors to our areas of influence. And so Noah, in a very real sense, got to pastor his family towards God and actually got to be a part of their process in stepping into salvation that was received by God. Noah gets to be a part of their story because he pastored his family. And so we need to be pastors to our areas of influence. If you're a parent in the room, it starts with your children. Being a pastor to your family. But we are pastors to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our relatives, to everyone that we come in contact with. We can be the light in the darkness. We can be an encouragement to brothers and sisters in Christ, pastoring them and leading them into a deeper relationship with him. So we need to live out what Noah was living out. We need to walk with God. We need to be pastors in our areas of influence because if we're not doing that, we're leaving ourselves and maybe others open to the effects of sin. And that's why the rest of the world who wasn't living out the things that Noah was doing experienced this in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence, God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So God is acknowledging that there is a sin problem in the world. And we talked a few weeks ago about what sin is and how God feels about sin. But as a reminder, sin is rebellion against God. God is an offense to God, is a direct attack on a holy God. So every time we tell a lie, every time we choose to respond in anger or in hate rather than in love, every time that we put something ahead of God in our lives, every time we use God's image implanted on us for our own glory instead of his, we commit sin and we rebel against God And it is an offense to him. And so we need to take sin seriously. Noah's life and what happens to the world around him is a testimony to how seriously God takes sin. We need to deal with sin. We need to deal with it now, not waiting. And we need to be a light to others to show them that there is a better way. To show them that there is a path to christ to forgiveness to a new life See, the thing is is that while god is going to deal with sin god is patient he is patient he is patient in noah's time as a matter of fact when the ark was built when god called noah to build the ark it took about a hundred years to build the ark now noah lived to be 950 years old so i don't know he was using some good essential oils or doing p90x or something People just lived longer at the time, but, right? but it took about 100 years to build the ark. This is a massive structure that doesn't look like anything else that's in creation at the time. And so you have to imagine that there were some questions that were being asked. Hey, Noah, what are you doing? Like, that doesn't look like a house. It doesn't look very stable. It doesn't look like anything we've ever seen. What's going on? Well, I'm building a boat for the flood. Hey, Noah, what's a boat and what's a flood? Because they were living in the desert. Rain had not even been a factor for them at this point. And so here's the thing, as Noah is building this ark and spending years building this massive structure, it was a light in the darkness. It was a witness to all of the the nations, to all the world, saying, hey, repent of your sins because judgment is coming. And the reality is, is that the door was open. Nowhere did it say that if someone had repented and turned towards God that they couldn't enter the ark. As a matter of fact, listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 7, starting in verse 13. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind. Everything with wings, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them, came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. So the door to the ark, the door to salvation was standing open. And you notice in Scripture, it doesn't say that there were a bunch of guards planted outside the ark to make sure no one got in. Right? No, it wasn't like, hey, lions, tigers, bears, stand watch, make sure no one else comes in. The doors were open, but nobody else came. And I don't know if they just, thought they had more time, if they didn't think their sin was that bad, they didn't believe that God was really going to judge their sin, they just thought Noah was some some crazy person, but nobody came. The door was open and nobody came. But we need to understand that while God is patient, gracious, and merciful, there comes a time where our time to receive grace runs out. And it says here that the Lord shut Noah in, that when him and his family and all the animals had entered the ark, the Lord shut the door. And this was an act of mercy to Noah as protection, but it was was also an act of judgment upon those who refused to turn from their ways and follow after God. We need to deal with sin. We need to be a light. We need to be walking with God and be pastors to our areas of influence. And we need to do it now because tomorrow's not guaranteed. We don't know what the future holds, but today is the day to deal with our sin. Today is the day to be a light. Today is the day to share the good news. Because when the time runs out, judgment comes. Chapter 7, down in verse 21. It says, Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land and all man, uh, sorry, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. So, what I need us to understand is that God is just and will punish sins. God is just and will punish sin. Scripture makes it clear that all have fallen short of the glory of God. The wage of sin is death. That price is going to be paid. And actually, even though this part of the story is hard to read, and maybe we may not like it, we actually are going to be grateful that justice is a part of who God is. Because everyone believes that sin needs to be dealt with. Everyone believes that there needs to be justice against evil, judgment on evil. I mean, if you talk to anyone and you start talking about some some serious evil in the world, you start talking about people like, like Hitler or Osama bin Laden or the people who go into schools and murder children, we all know that justice needs to happen, that judgment needs to come. We are grateful that we have a just God. Now, our line for what's worthy of punishment or what the punishment should be might be different. But we can all come to the conclusion that justice is needed and that sin needs to be dealt with. And if we can come to that conclusion, maybe we can come to the conclusion conclusion that God's way is the best way and we need to adhere to his standards (coughs) rather than our own. God is just and will punish sins. But the good news is also, (coughs) excuse me, that God is merciful I think my water's in the back. Can someone bring me my water, please? (laughs) Sorry. I don't know what just happened. God is merciful and does not want to punish us. And so, yes, he will deal with sin, and that's a good thing, but he's also merciful, and he will give us opportunity. Thank you. He will give us opportunities to receive his grace and his mercy. He is patient with us. And with Noah, we see that God is merciful. It says in, in chapter eight, verse one, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now, just to be clear, this isn't that God forgot Noah and he suddenly remembered, right? He's not sent up in heaven and an angel's like, hey, uh, isn't that that ark with the guy Noah that you, you put in there? And he's like, oh, right, I need to go deal with that. Now, right, this is just telling us that God has decided that this is the time where he's going to come and he's going to fulfill the promise that he made to Noah and his family. And so then we see in verse 15 then God said to Noah come out of the ark you and your wife and your sons and their wives bring out every kind of living creature that is with you the birds and the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it So Noah waited for God's call and God calls him back into mercy calls him into grace he calls him into life and then he gives him a command that he gave in Genesis chapter 1 he says be fruitful and multiply God says, the things that I created mankind to do, to be my image bearers, that's still there. I still want you to do that. And I want to see that fulfilled. God's being faithful to his promise to Adam and Eve in this time. He's being faithful now to Noah. And he's saying, I want you to continue the work that I have in store for you. And here's how Noah responds. In verse 20 of chapter eight, it says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So, as Noah receives God's grace and God's mercy, he responds with worship. The first thing he does when he enters into the land is to worship. And this should be our hearts and our attitudes as well. The first thing we should do every day is to worship, because God has, in His mercy and His grace, has given us another day. The first thing we should do every week, every month, the first thing we should do every year is to worship. And anytime we see God, we experience God, we feel His presence, we see His grace and His mercy, we should worship. One of the reasons we structure our worship services the way we do is that we come and gather after the way God has led us this week, and we come to worship. And then we come and we hear the word, and we receive the word, and we see God's goodness in the word, we see his power and his might in the word, and we respond with worship. We are people who are called to worship, to be worshipers. And that's what Noah did. And what's interesting is he actually offered what is seen in Levitical law as a sin offering. And so he literally is taking the time to say, I am not worthy of your grace. I'm not worthy of life. I should have been judged like everyone else and received wrath, but instead you gave me grace. So forgive me of my sins. He's repenting of his sins, turning away from them. And he's also acknowledging that I'm not perfect. And God recognizes that. God actually sees that every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And yet he says, I'm going to be gracious and merciful anyways. Even though mankind is going to mess things up, and we're going to see next week that like immediately we're back to the same things that are happening here. God is still going to be gracious. He says, never again am I going to judge mankind in this way. And then in chapter 9, he speaks this directly to Noah and his family. Down in verse 8, it says, "'Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, "'I now establish my covenant with you "'and with your descendants after you, "'and with every living creature that was with you, "'the birds and the livestock and all the wild animals, "'all those who came out of the ark with you, "'every living creature on earth. "'I establish my covenant with you. "'Never again will all life be destroyed "'by the waters of a flood. "'Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth.'" And God said this will this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth I don't know if you noticed but the word covenant is used a lot there It's used 5 times in these 6 verses and you think, well, the Bible's really long. If we just condense that to one verse, we might shorten it and make it easier to read sometimes. But this is God being gracious to Noah and his family. He's reminding them over and over and over and over and over again, I am making a covenant. I am making a promise. I am faithful and I'm going to keep my promise. And he's saying, never again, never again, never again is the world going to be destroyed in this way. See, for us, we read the story of Noah, and when rain falls, we don't think global flood is coming. We don't think of God's judgment. Typically, especially over the last few years with the drought, we think, oh, this is God's mercy. But you have to imagine that the first time Noah and his family saw a rain cloud in the sky, that they were terrified. That fear began to creep in. That they begin to think, oh no, God is now judging us for our sin in the way that He judged the rest of the world for theirs. The flood is coming again. You could imagine that the first two, three, five, ten times that rain came, they were probably running back to the ark, thinking, get back on the boat. It's happening again. And God is saying, No, I am faithful, I will keep my promise. As a matter of fact, God knew in his grace and his mercy and his wisdom, he knew that they would need something more than just words, they would need a sign. And so God says, I'll put my bow in the sky. And you're thinking, no, no, not bow, rainbow. That's what the NIV says. The NIV translated it to rainbow because we have actually seen what God does and what he puts in the sky. We've seen that it is a rainbow. But for Noah, he had no concept of this idea. And so what Noah heard was bow as in bow and arrow. That's what the word that is, that is actually in the, in the Hebrew, that's the word that's used. And so for Noah, God was saying, I am laying down my bow, my weapon of war so that you and I can have peace. And he's saying, my bow is pointing to the heavens to remind you that I am king, that I have made a promise to you and I am faithful and will fulfill that promise. And so every time you probably get nervous during the rains, you're going to see that bow come out and you're going to think, yes, never again, never again is God going to judge the world in this way. Is God going to pour his wrath out in this way? Now, for many of us, I assume you're probably a lot like me. When I look at the sky after a rainy day and I see a rainbow, I don't think, wow, there's God's promise that he's never going to flood the earth again. I think, wow, there's something that my kids might like to see. Every once in a while, I do think about the story of Noah and think about God's goodness from that. But God in his goodness and his wisdom, he would give us a new sign. See, thousands of years after Noah, God's wrath would be poured out once again, but not through a global flood and not for all people, but his wrath would be poured out on one man for all people. The wrath that every person and human history has deserved was poured out on one man, his son, the person of Jesus Christ. And his death and resurrection mean that we have life. And so we look to the sign of the cross. And the reason we have a cross at the front of our church and the reason we have one on this wall right here and in our other worship spaces and the reason you might have one in your home or maybe you even wear one as a necklace is because the cross reminds us of God's promise to us that never again, never again, never again will you have to stand before God unclean. Never again will you have to stand before God and worry about the punishment for your sins. Never again will you have to think about how do I pay the price that I owe for my sins because that price has already been paid for us. And the cross reminds us of God's goodness and his mercy and his grace. It is a reminder of the covenant, the promise that he makes to us, that for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, who received him as Lord, who believe that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved and never again do we have to live in fear of God's judgment and wrath because of our sin, because that price has been paid and we have received Christ's righteousness. I want to end back in chapter 6 with two more verses. In verse 14, it says, So make yourself, this is God's command to Noah, So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. And he goes on to talk about how the ark is supposed to be built. And then in verse 22, it says this, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. And the reason I wanna end with these verses is because I want us to understand that in God's goodness, in his love, it's not just about what he saves us from, but also what he saves us to. God doesn't just save us from sin and death and destruction, but he saves us to life and to being a part of what he's doing in our world. See, we get the privilege of being pastors to our areas of influence. We don't deserve it. God doesn't need us. And yet he chooses to welcome us into that plan anyways. See, the story of Noah in many ways mirrors the story of creation. And in creation, we see that God speaks and it happens. God said, let there be light and there was. But here, God chooses to fulfill his purposes through his creation, through his image bearers, through Noah. And so God speaks to Noah and he says, build the ark. And Noah does. Later, God speaks to Noah and says, come out of the ark, be fruitful and multiply. And Noah does. And so now for us today, God is sending us who have accepted that gift, who received Jesus Christ, who received that grace. He's saying to us, now go and make disciples. Go and tell others about me. Go and help encourage and deepen each other's faith. And we get to live that out. See, church, the world is hurting right now because it's filled with darkness. It's filled with brokenness and so many people are running to different things that just don't satisfy. And we have the good news and we get to partner with God in what he's doing here and now in Carmichael, here and now in our time, in our lives, in our families, in our world, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods. We get to partner with what God is doing and share the good news with others. And so there may come a day where we stand in eternity and people come up and say, hey, you were a part of my salvation story. You you planted the seed. You did the watering. You were the person that led me to Christ. Maybe you had a conversation I rejected you at the time, but you softened my heart. You demonstrated love and showed me what a follower of Christ is supposed to look like, what Jesus actually looks like. We get to be a part of people's stories, their salvation stories, their discipleship stories. We get to multiply disciples, building one another up and sending even more out into the world. God in his graciousness has invited us to be a part of what he's doing. Just like he invited Noah, he's inviting us now today. And we get to point people to salvation in the way that Noah did as well. To say, yes, judgment and wrath is coming upon sin, but God is gracious and merciful. And he has made a way for you to receive life. So let's deal with the sin issue that's in our own hearts. Repent, run away from our sin and towards God. Let's rejoice in his grace and mercy that allows us to receive him, that offers us salvation. And let's be a light for the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God, we repent of our sin. It offers us nothing, but you offer us everything. So God, we are done with our old ways and we are running into the new life that you have in store for us. God, we give you thanks for your grace and mercy demonstrated, given to us through the person of Jesus Christ, through your son who died on a cross so that our sins could be gone and buried, whose blood washed us clean and rose again so that we can have life with you. So God, for that, we give you thanks. And God, we pray for courage. We pray for boldness to be a light in our world, to be pastors to our areas of influence to boldly proclaim your truth for a world that so desperately needs it. So God, give us favor in our conversations, in our interactions, that people would see the way we love you and the way we love others, the truth that we proclaim, and they would come to receive that, to know that, to know you as well. Thank you for including us in your plan. We love you, Father, and pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.